Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. My name's Erin and I'm a hypnobirthing and antenatal instructor, birth activist and all-round birth geek. In this podcast, I chat to experts in the field of pregnancy and birth, debunking myths around birth, diving into the research around maternity care and exploring what is it that means you're more likely to have a positive birthing experience. If you enjoy this podcast, do feel free to buy me a coffee and fund my caffeine habit. Link to my buy me a coffee page is in the podcast info. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. I am talking to James, the midwife today. Welcome, James. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I've been trying to get this in the diary for ages, haven't we? So I'm really yeah, glad have, yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and uh, so just to let everyone know who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So my name's James. I am a midwife um, and I've been a midwife for or 13 years now um, and I've spent the last seven years working in a kind of continuity of care model um, in Wales and we are purely midwife-led service um, so you know I'm really I, over the last seven years I've really learned how to kind of become a midwife I guess in the true sense of the word um, and I kind of when I qualified as a midwife I started out very much in um, the I guess the mainstream kind of uh, model of care and I started working on a very busy kind of high risk labour ward um, and I did that for my first six months and I kind of knew I wasn't going to enjoy that style of midwifery because of course I'd done that in my training as well and I knew it just wasn't for me and the first three births I witnessed as a student midwife were home births so um you know instantly it set me up for you know where, where I was going to go with with my career um and, and midwifery to me is not a job it's a calling it's something that I honestly truly believe I was put on this planet to do it's kind of it's just in me it's part of me um and I couldn't think of anything else I could really do with with my life um so you know I always knew that that's what I needed to be doing um I don't even know where it came from because I guess for a man to think about being a midwife is yeah. quite an unusual thing really um but I can honestly say that I used to have dreams as a child about being in the bathroom before I knew how babies were born I'm talking knee-high child I remember them now vivid dreams about being in the bathroom um and you know just facilitating births and things like that so it's yeah it's just part of me really it's what what I need to be doing um so yeah, so once I'd done my six months on a very busy labour ward, I kind of knew I needed to change um, because I wasn't going to survive in that in that model of care at all. Um, so I then moved moved hospitals actually back close to where I was living, and I did a bit of a rotational post for a bit where I was working between their labour ward, which was less I'd, I'd say less acute than the one I come from. The one I come from was very specialist with looking after women with preeclampsia and um, it had a, a you know a strong fetal medicine unit so lots of very poorly babies so really genuinely 
mm. you know, genuinely high risk pregnancies where the women were probably better off there than they were at home or in a, you know, a birth centre or anything like that. And then when I moved close to home, that was a bit more kind of run of the mill labour ward, you know, for three months. And I did the rotation to the postnatal ward, antenatal ward, that type of thing. Um, and they then decided they were going to open an alongside birth centre. So I was very quick to get involved with the setting up of that. And I was really, really lucky to um, get a job working in the birth centre when it opened. And I caught the first baby that was born there, which was really... Oh. Um, and it was on our first day open on the first first shift and yeah in, in came a lady and she had a baby and it was great lovely um but very quickly that became a victim of its own success in the respect of it was so popular mm. prior to it opening because of the culture that was within the kind of midwifery team there it was all you know the attitude of well there's never going to be anybody suitable you know maybe the odd multi but most women won't be able to go there because they're so used to seeing intervention after intervention after intervention but so blinded by it not realizing that it was it was purely the fact that where the women were going in spontaneous labor that were, was causing most of them to need intervention so it very quickly became a victim of its own success um and i think they ended up before I left there they were doing a quarter of all the births there um and it was tiring because it was just I was catching baby after baby after baby um I didn't want birth to become oh just it's just another baby or you know I didn't, exactly yeah. yeah and I wasn't of course I didn't know the women they were coming in labor but I'd never met them before I'd had no very little time to build a relationship with them um and I wasn't seeing them again afterwards so I kind of realised I needed to change again. So I stayed within the same trust, but moved into community midwifery. Um, and I did that for a couple of years, which was really kind of, again, it was another massive learning curve for me, a different type of you know, way of working. Um, but I really became frustrated very quickly with the respect of having big caseloads. You know, I'm talking 100 plus women at a time seeing them in a GP surgery with 15 minute appointment slots to try and get everything done, not being able to give any kind of individualized care. Um, and then of course, most of them were having babies in the, in the birth center because it was so popular. Um, you know, they all wanted to go there. So trying to encourage home birth was very difficult because it wasn't home birth wasn't in the culture there anyway within that town that I was working in. Um, I think the home birth rate was probably two percent, something like that. So it was really difficult to try and promote home birth because they had this brand new birth centre that everybody was raving about. Why would I want to be at home when I can go there and it's a corridor, you know, trip down to the labour ward? Should I need help? So that was challenging. Um, and of course, then even postnatally, I wasn't seeing you know my own caseload of women because they the postnatal visits were just shared out whichever midwives were working you know on those days so yeah it, it I was getting to the point of oh my gosh you know midwifery is my thing but what am I going to do because I just can't find the I, I couldn't at the time I didn't realize what I needed 
but I just knew what I was doing wasn't right and it wasn't why I trained to be a midwife and then um, I looked into being an independent midwife and I did a study day I did a little course on it um, and I was all set up really to kind of try and go self-employed and I thought no I could really do this this is the only way I'm going to be able to give full kind of continuity of carer and you know look after women as individuals and not be you know stuck with protocols and guidelines and things like that um but at that point then all the insurance stuff came up with independent midwives and everything you could tell was breaking down for them and I thought oh gosh you know I do need to earn money um I need a regular income so that probably wasn't going to be an option for me and I was almost at the point of leaving midwifery um because prior to being a midwife I was a nurse so I had I still at that point have my nursing registration and I was almost thinking oh shall I go back and you know think again really um and then a really good friend of mine and colleague um had come to visit us in Swindon now she used to be a midwife in Swindon with me and um she'd moved to Wales because she's Welsh and she had come back to visit and she she said to me oh my god you would absolutely love where I'm working now the model care what I'm doing and she described everything to me and I was just I think my jaw just hit the floor and I was like <laughs> oh my god what um so I just waited for a job vacancy to come up um and then it did actually really quickly and I was in a position where I could relocate so um I went for the interview thankfully got the job and moved my whole life from Wiltshire in England to mid Wales and here I am seven years actually it was seven years yesterday that I um that I've been here so yeah so it was it, and I haven't ever looked back yeah. so it's been really good yeah. so that's kind of like where I am now is that it's such an interesting journey and it's yeah. so I think it's fascinating because I don't think people realize that there are there are lots of types of midwives you know mm. I mean there really is um and and I think the environment you work in can really affect how you practice and how you you know how you support people just by the confines of the environment and the culture I think yeah and, and the workload um so it sounds like you've got an amazing, amazing job now and, and yeah. that's really satisfying. Yeah. Do you want to describe a little bit what continuity of care is mm. um, yeah. and how you work, how it's so different from how you used to work? Yeah, so um, I'll start by saying, actually, when I, when I first came here, it took me probably a good six months to really settle into it. It was such a complete change to what I was used to doing. Um, yeah, and it took me a while to find my place within the team that I was working with um, and kind of get to know my geographical area of where my caseload is based. Um, and for, for obviously, for the families that I'm looking after, you know, within this area to get used to having, I think, a man because they'd never had a male midwife in, you know, in rural mid Wales before. It's kind of almost unheard of, really. Um, but yeah, after six months, I really settled in. I think, you know, I probably had to prove myself a little bit, particularly to, to the families I was caring for um, and my colleagues. But although 
they've all been so supportive ever since day one you know I've never had any crosswords with anybody it's been really really good um so yeah so we are um spread across a massive area of Wales and um we are I think eight yeah eight teams and each team is four to six midwives um and we're all based from a freestanding midwife-led unit and just to give you an idea of kind of distances my team is based towards the north of the county the most southerly county for me to get to them would probably take me about two and a half hours to oh, drive wow. wow now that's because we don't have motorways or anything here it's literally country lanes and you know a couple of a roads but so it's that's you know partly the reason why but yeah so that's just to give you an idea so me working in the north of the county I don't really um apart from when we have team meetings or study days and things I don't really you know work with the teams in the south down in the south because it's you know logistically it just doesn't work like that um so each team covers a, a patch of the county and then within each team each of us have a geographical area of our patch and that's kind of how our caseloads are are worked out um because it's quite rural the population is quite sparse so it affords us to have manageable caseloads to be able to provide you know continuity of care um and a full-time midwife would normally expect to carry a caseload of kind of between 35 and 40 women at any one time and that is a mixed I hate the word risk, but it's a mixed risk caseload. So we're looking after women who are deemed as uncomplex and those that are deemed to have certain complexities that might require obstetric input as well. Um, we don't have any obstetricians, obstetric services, doctors at all anywhere within our health board, within our catchment area. Um, so for women that are requesting or requiring obstetric input in their pregnancy would go to one of the uh, nearest bigger general hospitals where there is an obstetric team um, that's local to them and across our whole county we have to obviously use commission services outside of the borders and I think we cover I think it's about 10 different you know hospitals that the women could go to depending on where they live um, my team we feed into two of them um, so sometimes that can have challenges because of course we are completely separate from them but if our women are going to them to see them we need to have links and and you know relationships with them know what their policies are know what ours are because they all they're all different um, and yeah so we because we have smaller caseloads, we're able to give good continuity. So for example, I will see my, my clients from booking all the way through their pregnancy. Um, if they are planning to birth locally, so that would be a community-based birth, so either a home birth or in our midwife-led unit, then um, I would try and look after them in labor if I can. It doesn't always work out, but I try to. Uh, and then of, of course postnatally we're seeing them all the way through as well um we don't have clinics we're not doing antenatal clinics we're very much seeing women on an individual basis either at their homes for antenatal care or they sometimes will come to our birth center if they want to be seen there if it's easy for them uh, we try and get partners involved 
as much as they want to be really through the antenatal period um, and postnatally as well when it's not one size fits all it's not right okay so I'm going to see you this day because your baby needs weight I'm going to see you that day because your baby needs a heel prick test I'm going to see you this day because you know we need to do another weight check it's very much okay well we can do that around these few days we don't have to do it on a specific day so actually I'm a day off that day so I'll come and see you tomorrow because I'm working and we'll do it then um so again we can still give that kind of individualized care to our own women we do have a buddying system within each of our teams so in my team there's four midwives so I buddy with one of my colleagues to make sure that if I'm off for any reason then she's able to you know pick up any of my clients and same if I'm off I'll do it sorry if she's off I'll do it for her clients um and we try and meet them if we can through the pregnancy so that when they go into labor if their named midwife isn't able to to be with them at least hopefully they've met me at some point um and it's difficult but trying to get them to meet the other two members of the team as well at some point in pregnancy um if even if it's through like birth preparation or something like that just means that hopefully when they go into labor if they're birthing with us they have a known midwife because of, of course we know the benefits of that um we have really high home birth rates uh, our last count was 15 percent wow that's amazing um, yeah and on top of that our midwife-led unit births are i think another 11 or 12 percent so we are successfully birthing a quarter of our caseload or thereabouts um, it fluctuates a little bit year on year but at the moment that's where we're at um, which we're really really proud of um, and we get really good feedback really good outcomes our transfer rates are low um, well below the national average for transferring in labour or postnatally um, so you know that's something I think we need to be proud of as well um, anything I haven't mentioned I think that's what, probably the what are some of the some of the common reasons for transfer because it's, it's actually it's something that I get asked quite a lot um when people are considering home birth because we know that for first-time mothers and first-time parents there is quite a high transfer rate you know a national average yeah. um, and I know that for a lot of those, they're not blue being blue lighted to hospital general no. emergency. So what yeah. are what are the kind of common reasons to transfer in with the with I think for, uh, for, for from our perspective, um, the things that come out on top, uh, unfortunately, it is the first time mums that tend to transfer the most. And it tends to be because of this whole and I'll use air quotes delay in labour. The problem I have with this is the fact that we have a guideline which says what the, pro the normal progress of labour should be using this curve. I can't remember the name of the curve. Friedman's curve. That bit, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that was developed how many years ago with no evidence to support it. Mm -hmm. if, we if we are having to transfer so many first time mums because they are not meeting this criteria, mm -hmm. then surely the guideline is wrong yeah not not the women mm -hmm. because we can't it doesn't make sense that so many first-time mums would need assistance or augmentation or anything you know to, to speed their labor up it's it's yeah. just ridiculous i think i mean it it meets i guess criteria for 
mums that have had a baby before because you know the majority of them absolutely well they sail through it don't they they don't really need you don't even need to to think about it but um i just think we're doing first-time mums complete injustice um and i hope one day that that can change um that we can again stop looking at everybody like they all should be doing it exactly the same speed exactly the same you know rate and look at them as individuals and the whole picture and you know what's happening um and a real thing that I've found since I've been working in the last seven years in this model of care, I've really learned as a midwife to just sit back and watch and observe. Don't mess, don't interfere, sit on my hands. I've got my, my clever hands if I need them, but very rarely do I need them. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and it's just a case of watching and waiting. And honestly, women birth it's very rare that there's a genuine problem where they need help. Um, they birth, the babies come out and it's, you know, a lovely kind of experience. Um, and I'd say more so obviously during home births than anywhere else really, that you find that women progress and birth successfully without intervention. Mm. And we know that don't we from the evidence anyway, that, that tells us that. Yeah. Um, and I think the continuity of care really helps as well because on the majority of occasions when I'm going out to someone in labour, when the phone rings, I know who it is. And I know their background, I know their pregnancy. When I get to them, I don't have to ask questions. I don't have to make a relationship with them. I don't have to worry about introductions. They just know I'm coming. Um, and quite often it's actually when they know it's gonna be their named midwife that things actually speed up. Yeah. Um, and the distances out here as well because of the geography and the rurality of it is that you know there's been several occasions where I've got there just in time yeah. because they suddenly you know relax into themselves and you know out comes a baby mm -hmm. and you will find them in the pitch black dark and you'll follow the the kind of noises of <laughs> which is it's clearly second stage labor and I know where they'll be in the bathroom on the toilet in yeah. the dark yeah um and it's you know every time every time it's um and and to be able to to see that witness that time and time and time again you really learn where we're getting it wrong in mm. the mainstream kind of you know hospital-based system yeah because the hospital-based system isn't sit on your hands and watch and wait no. it's no. it's direct opposite to be honest yeah. Yeah. it's correctly um, intervene and this, I very often now don't even have to offer to examine a woman in labour, you know, do vaginal examinations, because again, I know them so well. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm confident in my palpation that the baby's in a good position, it's got its head down. Um, and, you know, our guidelines are so good in the respect of they say, like, when we arrive to someone in labour, we don't have to offer them an examination or, or we should offer them an examination within four hours of mm -hmm. the onset of established labor, mm -hmm. which is great because what that is saying is that if I arrive to somebody and I'm looking at her and I'm like, she's probably not quite established yet. However, I'm just gonna hang around for an hour or so um, and see how this unfolds. If nothing much is happening, I can go away and come back if it appears to be kind of getting on, at some point I will write down a time to say labour 
appears to be established and then I've got four hours mm. before I have to sort of say okay perhaps maybe would it be would you like me to examine you would you like to know how far you are so to have that kind of um set in stone guidance which gives you as a midwife the confidence to be able to you know just just sit back and observe is fantastic and most of the times particularly with the mums that have had babies before within that four hours they're having a baby you don't need to touch them um maybe a bit more it's a bit more common with a first-time mum because perhaps they won't be having but definitely within that four hours you are seeing their labor you know externally you are seeing it progressing and it's moving forward and you know they're doing good things um the other thing we do is home assessments in labour for everybody. So um, we all take it in turns to go on call in, in our team. Uh, and we're, we're on call officially probably twice a week, three times a week maybe, if you're a full-time midwife. Um, and yeah, when you, so the, the women ring us directly and we talk to them on the phone. And then regardless of where they may have thought that they want to have their baby we'd never expect them to make a decision until the day they go into labor we don't put that pressure on them um so we go out and we do a home assessment first and quite often by the time you get to them because they could be an hour away drive you know because again because of the distances out here and our closest obstetric units are another hour's drive away um, so quite often by the time you're getting to them to do a home assessment labor's really kicking in mm. and quite often at that point they will look at you and and go you are joking do you think I'm getting you in the car and moving anywhere okay. and we always got our our birthing kits home birth kits whatever you want to call it in our cars all the time so we can support them at home should they choose at that moment to stay at home and have a home birth um, and it happens quite often isn't that um, fantastic though like, yeah, I, just today on 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 instagram i i told I, I said to everybody that was on my live even if you don't plan to have a home birth ask to have a home birth because you yeah, don't yeah. know how you're going to feel in the middle of labor and if you're registered at the home birth team and you decide in the middle of labor actually i don't want to go anywhere that's fine because you're registered for a home birth they'll send the home birth midwives out you get to stay at home you you limit your choices otherwise if you don't ask for that definitely and it's really good because of course our ladies or families have got that option out here because they know that we will come to them first um the other thing is that we do have quite a um large percentage that would be deemed to be obstetric lead care or high risk if you like I hate the word risk but you know with complexities um and we get quite a few that will say to us actually I'm still going to have my baby at home or I'm still going to have it I'm still going to come to the birth center because I want to use the pool um I'm not I'm not going to labor ward um and we we've got a, a, again a really good robust system in place to be able to support these women to make these choices I'm not having to refer them to a consultant midwife. We have a consultant midwife who is bloody fantastic. Um, and she supports us to support our women. So we have the conversations with them. Mm. Uh, we talk to them about risks versus benefits. You know, we use the brain tool, um, depending on obviously what their personal circumstance is. And if they 
say to us then, yep, yeah, okay, I've listened to the, the arguments for and against. However, I made my choice. I'm going to stay at home. Well, that's what I planned to do. Mm. Then we just put we, um, like a information sharing thing in place where we write our conversations down and what the, what why the woman is being advised to birth in an obstetric unit. Mm. Um, and we send that out to the rest of the midwives in the team. So everybody knows about her. Everybody knows about the conversation we've had with her. She doesn't have to sign anything because why should she? Mm. Um, she doesn't have to go and have another, uh, you know, talk with a consultant obstetrician because we've done the chat with her. Mm -hmm. um, or if they, if 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 it's something particularly, you know, significant, perhaps we would maybe have another chat with a consultant obstetrician. But we do it where we're present with them like via Skype or Teams or something like that so that actually when the pressure starts coming we're there to advocate for them to say well, well actually hold on a minute I we've had that discussion this is what we've talked about these are this is the evidence we've we've discussed these are the statistics we've discussed and that really helps that really helps and then at the time the woman goes into labor if it's not the named midwife on call going out to her the midwife that is going out to it knows exactly what's been discussed and we do not have the discussion again oh we just, this just blows my mind like and to, and honestly the amount of women we have to transfer in labor who have a complexity is next to nothing yeah. and i'm talking i'm talking v-backs i'm talking di gestational diabetes you know big babies that you know yeah. that thing it's very rare that we transfer them I put, we probably transfer more of the you know low risk low label yeah yeah than we do those women with with complexities so you know we've got really good good you know feedback again from the women for that good results with mm. that um and you know on the times when we do have to transfer these women because they have had a deviation in labor they still come out of it empowered because they have made the decision to go and they've been able to have kind of own, take ownership of their whole experience right from the word go. Yeah. So they still come out at the end of the day with better, feeling better about the experience, you know, empowered, which I think is really important. Yeah. It just blow, it blows my mind that you mm. have a model of care that works so well, has such good outcomes. I mean, that it's, you know, Case in point, I mean, it's it's not you can't argue against it, and we're not doing it everywhere. It just I know, I know. and I think that let, let's talk about the Ockenden report with mm -hmm. that because of course one of the things in the Ockenden report came out about continuity of care that they should all all was it all continuity of care teams should be ceased immediately yeah. unless there are safe levels of staffing. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I kind of agree with that because we don't have safe levels of staffing for continuity of care models to work effectively. Mm -hmm. You can't expect um, a midwife to provide continuity of care to a massive caseload of women. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. You need enough midwives to be able to give, um, you know, women have small enough caseloads to then be able to give continuity of care. Um, one of the things that I want to say about it is that midwives often feel that they're going to experience burnout um, and they're going to have to be on call 24 7 and that's simply not true that's not how it works if you've got a really well-established team around you 
and you have got a management team that allow you to work flexibly because that's so important um, I'll, I'll come to how i work with my hours and stuff in a minute then that all ensures that burnout doesn't occur yeah burnout occurs when you're expected to work a you know a full day doing full clinics um with a full caseload then having to be on call for your women without a break mm. and then potentially being up all night and having to do that time and time and time again that, of course that's not safe and of course that's not going to work and of course that's when mistakes are going to happen and women and babies are going to suffer so i do agree that yeah it has to be safe staffing my only concern is are we ever going to have enough midwives uk-wide for every single trust to be able to provide continuity of care for every single woman something needs to change doesn't that i don't know it's yeah. it's, a, it's that's what worries me and i think that they'll pull the plug on it completely mm. they'll use that that paragraph as an excuse to say right that's it quit we're not doing it um and there's so many midwives out there that don't want to do it mm. that i think there's not enough emphasis or you know yeah not enough push to, to kind of work on actually improving it so that it, it can happen mm. which is a real shame and I think it works for us because it it's we couldn't work in any other way it's yeah. the only way of us being able to work in our kind of situation mm. um so yeah yeah it's oh it's heartbreaking because I think it's a bit of a vicious cycle isn't it um because I think it's such a hard job to do and yeah. when you're working, you know, in a hospital, in that kind of environment, in that kind of model of care, um, yeah. it's hard. It's hard. And it's why we're losing so many midwives. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to end up exacerbating that argument to, to, to can, you know, the model of, of, of care that you, you currently work in. Yeah. Um, which is heartbreaking because it obviously works, doesn't it? It does, it does. And it's and, I, and I'll go back to kind of hours and stuff like that. So, yes, I'm contracted to work a certain a number of hours a week, but we are given the ownership of our hours. So, yeah, OK, we are we're rostered within our team so that somebody's always, you know, meant to be working in the day to cover any daytime stuff. And then we have someone on call overnight to cover, you know, calls and things during the nighttime period um but if unless i'm rostered a day off or annual leave how i choose to work my hours on my working days on my on-call days is completely up to me and i have total ownership of my diary as do the rest of my team members mm -hmm. so i'm really able to be flexible and work it around my own life as well um because I've got, I, I live on a small farm, so you know I've got commitments there. Um, I don't have to be in work for a certain time. I don't have to finish at a certain time. There are some days where I will work four or five hours because that's what my caseload requires of me. There are other days where I will work twelve to fourteen hours because I've got you know much more activity going on. I might have someone in labour that I'm looking after, um, and we how we work is that at the end of each month we work out how many hours we've worked through the whole month um 
and it's kind of like a running total so and it honestly it peaks and troughs all the time so there's um, times where my caseload will drop really low because I've had loads of women birth but maybe I haven't had many bookings coming in the other end so my caseload numbers will drop and um, end of last year my caseload dropped to 17 women which is really really quiet for something that and I'm, I'm I'm full-time basically um so I but up until that point I'd been really busy for about 12 months with a full caseload so my hours have gone way over like plus 30 or 40 hours something like that so I was owed that 30 or 40 hours back so then I started to take it so I would work much less hours and I very quickly actually went into minus hours because I just that there was just nothing much for me to do um so and I'm I've, my numbers have just crept up again to about 35 on my caseload um so I'm now at the point of making my hours back up again because I'm working more hours because I need to uh, and there's a lot of admin to do as well you know a lot of admin that goes in because we are given full ownership of our caseload we are responsible for ensuring that all their blood results are checked that's not done by the gp you know we, the gps have nothing to do with it um you know organizing appointments with obstetricians and making sure that things are followed up you know it's, it's sometimes it's relentless the admin can take me longer than actually doing the clinical side of it um but it just means i keep in touch all the time with what's going on it probably also means that things don't drop through the cracks because you no. people supposed to be checking things and it doesn't and you know it doesn't happen so which is a, I, I assume is a benefit yeah definitely definitely and the other thing is we are the women know there there is a midwife in their team available to them 24 7 so when we're on call we often take a little break in the afternoon so we're not expected to work from nine till five and then be on call from five o'clock all the way through the night because the way our model works is that although we might not get called out to a labourer, we are likely going to be called at some point in the night because we are also the triage system because we don't have that triage. We don't have an obstetric unit. So I'm getting woken up in the night with abdo pain, reduced fetal movements, bleeding, um, breastfeeding support. I often go out at two in the morning to help mums with breastfeeding. Um, mm -hmm. And having to triage those calls means that you are disturbed you know a fair fair amount during the night as well not every night but you know quite a few times um and having to work out do are they okay to be left is it something that we don't need to worry about do they need to be seen um by me do i need to go out and see them and check them over or no this is serious enough that they probably should have an obstetric review mm. and then it's okay how far away are they from the their nearest hospital is it safe for them to drive or do we need to call an ambulance? How far away is my next nearest midwife if I need a second midwife or something? How long, what are the ambulances doing? How long are they going to take? It's uh, it, honestly working it all out is just, it, I, I love it. It's, yeah. it's given me so many skills to, mm -hmm. to, and I feel so autonomous now that I couldn't go back to, you know, the conventional model really. Yeah. Um, it's great fun. And it, it must be such a fantastic experience for the people that you're supporting. I mean, I know from 
you know, from, for, just from my own experience of, of being pregnant three times and giving birth three times, I don't think my first two pregnancies, I had a named midwife. I didn't actually meet her until my third pregnancy. Never met her before. I know she was my name, but I've never, never, ever met her. Um, and, you know, having, having that, having that one person that, you know, if you need something, you know who they are, you've met them, you've got your, their contact details, you know, you don't have to hesitate, you don't have to try and find a number or try and get through to a, you know, a hospital or a maternity unit. Um, and the phone just keeps on ringing because they're too busy to pick up. I mean, that, all of those things are hugely frustrating. Um, yeah. Yes, it doesn't happen with 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 the care no. provide. And it's really funny because the the families out here, because they don't know any different, because it's always been this way out here. It's quite interesting to listen to them when they, you know, you see them for an appointment and you're just chatting away to them, and they because we have time to just chat away, which is great. Um, and they'll mention their friend who's pregnant but living in, in another area of Wales or living over in England or something. And, and they're genuinely shocked at how different the care is. And equally, their friend is completely shocked at how they're being kind of cared for through their pregnancy. Um, and they're like, you know, they'll say things like, well, her midwife doesn't see her at home. She has to go, she has to go to the GP surgery and she gets like a 10 minute slot. And I'm like, yeah, that's the real world, I'm afraid. You've got yeah. gold standard up here. Yeah. Um, they just don't, you know, it's just not, it's not heard of here, you know, they don't understand it. Um, and the other good thing is we're not expected to constantly move areas as midwives. So we keep the same patch for as long as we want to, really. So I've covered the same patch now for seven years. Um, which is a mixture of villages. I do a lot of farm, we're quite agricultural out here. So I do a lot of farms um, and I've got also got an estate in the town as well. And I, so I've served this area for seven years. I am the midwife, everybody knows me. Now, when I'm driving through the villages and stuff, you know, I'll just wave at people all the time with babies that are growing up really quickly, which makes me feel really old. Um, and I've served these families, a lot of them twice now in that seven years, and some of them even three times. And I've birthed all their babies. No, I haven't birthed, I've caught all their babies, I should say. Um, and they've never known another midwife, mm. you know? And, and that I really love. And I've just now actually, um, last week, booked a lady who has come back for the third time. I've looked after her for her previous two babies. I have attended both of her births and I've done all of her postnatal care. And in her second pregnancy, she actually developed uh, gestational diabetes, but she's a strong woman and she was just like, nope, I'm not doing anything else. I'm, I know what I want and I'm staying with you. you. And, yeah. and she, she absolutely smashed it. I had a lovely birth, no problems at all. Um, so now she's back a third time. And honestly, we spent most, because I know her so well, I'm like part of the family. Mm. We spent most of her booking just catching up on life because I, there's, I know her history. I've got it. I know it. And it was so much easier. So to have that, those relationships is just yeah. like, I can't even describe it. It's, no. it's amazing. It's it, people, I mean, people pay, people pay for that kind of yeah. care, don't they? Yeah. I mean, people pay for independent midwives and doulas yeah. to, to get continuity. Um, and how amazing that everybody in your area gets that for free. Um, 
I just wish that everybody had it because it sounds like utopia. <laughs> it just sounds amazing. It is, yeah, we're, we're, we're very, very lucky. Mm. We're very lucky. Yeah. I, I imagine um, it must have huge um, positive impact on people's actual births as well. Having somebody that you know, who you are familiar with um, attending your birth would yeah. definitely have an effect i imagine on on their actual birth you know the 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 speed of their birth and what happens in their birth and and and, and so on um oh absolutely part part to play on, on why you have such good outcomes i think so we all know don't we the benefits of you know having continuity of care mm -hmm. um and that's well evidenced and this is why i just don't understand you know, we're doing all these different things to try and reduce the stillbirth rate. And yet we know that continuity of care, and I've got, I've got the stats here, but we know that in, in a continuity of care model, you're seven times more likely to have a known midwife in labor. You're 16% less likely to lose your baby, 19% less likely to lose your baby before 24 weeks. 15% less likely to have an epidural in labour. And we, we all know what epidurals, you know, the cascade of intervention with epidurals. 24% mm -hmm. less likely to experience a preterm birth. I mean, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And 16% less likely to, to need an episiotomy during the birth. I mean, we, we've got this evidence here. Why are we not following that model of care if we want to reduce stillbirth right we can reduce it by 16 percent as far as the evidence is concerned just yeah. by offering continuity of care and not to mention the benefits on people's mental health and well-being yeah. postnatally yeah. success yeah. breastfeeding yeah. postnatally you know we know that if you have continuity of care it increases the chances of successful breastfeeding um and i think perinatal mental health I mean it's we're recording this in the middle of maternal uh, mental health yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and we we know that people you know the statistics and number of people that have birth trauma and suffer with postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety um, mm -hmm. and perinatal mental health um, issues is huge yeah um, um, honestly say that you know of, of course a, a large majority of my case folks do still go to obstetric units to birth their babies and I can't follow them into that uh, you know because I'm not part of that health board or trust mm -hmm. I'm not contracted to go and work there so I can't follow those mm -hmm. families in for their births but I can tell you a large majority of the time I don't want to say all the time because some women go in have a, a positive experience and that's you know that's wonderful I want them to all have you know positive experiences but I'd say a large majority of them when they come out I'm picking up the pieces yeah. and, and trying to deal with and talk them through um, you know what or unpick that birth experience and the majority of the time the women that are coming out with not so great experiences are the ones that go in for induction yeah um, and I have to say you know I'm painting this picture that we're this wonderful you know fantastic service but we are still um, governed if you like by the nice guidance um we're really struggling at the minute with the the recent induction of labor guidance for you know to come in um for term plus seven whatever it is uh and we're really struggling with how we're going to get around that 
because we are obliged to offer it yeah um hopefully we'll we'll come up with a solution but we have still got to at some point start we haven't thankfully we haven't started it yet but we're going to have to start offering everybody an induction from 41 weeks and yeah. um, you know and i know we'll do it in a way that gives women informed choice yeah. um but for some women it will sow the seed of doubt and they yeah. will not be able to get past that um of that you know what if what if what if mm. um and they'll go ahead and have that induction mm. and well we all know then what comes next don't we yeah uh, so yeah you know we 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 do have a fight on our hands to to try and maintain you know a good level of midwifery led care it's hard and yeah. it's getting harder yeah yeah it is going to get harder isn't it um but thank god thank god that there are you know there are midwives like you and your team who are you know really providing that level of care um because i imagine when those guidelines do kick in across a lot of hospitals in the UK um, I, I suspect the induction rates are going to skyrocket oh absolutely and uh, the birth trauma is going to skyrocket frankly yeah, without um, a doubt and the fact that you know we've got to have um, specific services now for birth trauma or perinatal mental health I mean no one questions why we need that that service so desperately they just they they it, it just seems to be this expectation that the birth is traumatic well that's just the way it is kind of attitude and um deal with it type type of attitude when actually no it it doesn't have to be traumatic it can be a really power empowering experience um and i just think it's a real kind of you know I, don't get me wrong i'm glad we've got perimental health um perinatal mental health specialists and you know services because of course there are, there will always be women that that need them and that's absolutely you know great that they're available but to be kind of like just accepting that what is it 30 percent of women will have will, will require or, or experience some kind of perinatal mental health a large majority of them are going to be down to their birth experience and somehow it just seems to be accepted oh well that's just the way it is I think it's an afterthought, isn't it? Mental yeah. health, because it's not Instead physical. Taking a step back and going, well, okay, why are these so many women experiencing birth trauma? Mm. What can we do to change that? Or what do we need to do to change that? It's just this whole attitude of, well, that's just how birth is, isn't it? Suck it up, deal with it. Yeah. But that's how I feel it is anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. So... If you had one message for midwives who are listening to this and they are considering changing, you know, changing model of care and, and, and looking at um, a continuity team, what would what would you tell them? I'd say plan it very carefully. Um, don't rush it at all. Um, You've, you've got to have management on your side because the only way it's going to work is if you can be you, you can self-manage your hours and you need a flexible working kind of pattern um being able to self-roster helps as well within a small team um 
and also ha actually having that team dynamic having a really good supportive team i couldn't do what i do without my team mm -hmm. they are just amazing uh, and we all support each other you know some of us because of commitments at home small children cannot be on call for up for their women you know 24 7 if you like when someone's due to have a baby they can only do their allocated on calls for the week mm -hmm. that's fine we we support them with that we don't expect anything more from them if they can't do it for someone like me i'm really lucky i don't have those commitments so if i've got one of my own clients due i can say to my team ring me anytime if i'm a day off or you know if i'm not on call and, and this this lady rings up in labor give me a ring if i can come i'll come yeah having that flexibility to work with each other work around each other's lives is really important as well um and yeah also just making sure that you take time off when you can yeah. don't feel like you've got to be at work 24 7. I, it, it, I think it all comes down to that flexible work and that would be my main message work flexibly but you need the support of your management team to do that who are not going to be breathing down your neck or oh, you haven't done this you haven't done enough hours today or it, forget that it's peaks and troughs all the time mm -hmm. and you need that kind of support to be able to do that yeah I feel like I could talk about this forever. I just think it's so interesting because it's not it's not a model of care that I'm familiar with or have ever experienced. And I just think yeah. it um terrifyingly fascinating because mm -hmm. I just think it, it it just sounds like such a sensible just it just makes sense and I just it terrifies me and it just it saddens me that we don't have that. Um not everyone has that has access to that kind of care um but we can hope yeah and we must have a give a shout out to the yorkshire midwives program yes, um, yorkshire midwives on call because anyone out there i urge them to watch this series because i've watched it and obviously i when i first watched started watching it i was like hiding behind cushions thinking oh god this is going to be horrific it's going to be another kind of you know traumatic birthing show which just makes birth look horrendous do you know what it's the complete opposite it is a breath of fresh air and i think it will do home birth the world of good because it is showing home birth in it in its true sense mm. and it's not sugarcoating anything there's been articles you know in newspapers saying it's sugarcoating and it's just you know it's it's not giving a true reflection but it really is isn't that interesting though that, that yeah. the media thinks it's sugar-coated because it yeah. looks so amazing yeah. that's what birth's supposed to be like that's what i'm sorry but birth is boring you know <laughs> in the respect of i don't mean that you know in a derogatory way in the respect of you know most of the time nothing dramatic happens yeah. it, it just unfolds and, yeah. it, and nature takes a course and it's yeah. a, a really wonderful thing to witness um, um they, but it also does show the opposite it you know it has shown a couple of times where there have been deviations in labor and the midwives have had to kick in and they've had to use their hands mm -hmm. but they're trained to do it they've That's got all the that's what they're there for they've got the equipment to do it and and you know and it also shows transfers mm -hmm. to hospital not in a dramatic way not with the dramatic music playing not with the ambulance sirens going off 
very calm and controlled. You really see that people that are being transferred in labour or you know, afterwards, if there's been an issue, are being transferred in a safe, timely manner. Mm. Um, it's even shown a woman having a consultant appointment. She was birthing against advice for a home birth and it showed that consultation. And that was really interesting to watch. She mm. was a strong woman. Yeah. Strong woman. And she had her home birth. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it shows when the plans change, you know, when someone has planned a home birth, they've gone under the home birth team, but for some reason the plan has changed and they've ended up having a hospital birth. And some of them, you see them birthing in a hospital and you see the absolute differences, mm-hmm. you know, of how someone births in a hospital on their backs, coach pushing to someone birthing in their home, in a dark room, in a pool or on their knees, you know, something like that, hands off. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and this team of midwives are genuinely happy in their work. They're not stressed, they're not burnt out. You can tell it's not just for the camera. They yeah. are genuinely loving life, loving their work. And again, like similar to us, it fits in. They mold their career around their home life mm-hmm. and it works. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch no, it. Watch it, watch, watch it. it. Yeah. yeah. On, on BBC, it's on iPlayer. Brilliant. Definitely go watch it. Thank you so much for, for chatting today. I've, oh, I've really, you. really enjoyed this. It's been it, it's been so eye-opening. Um, where can everyone find you online? Because you've got Instagram, haven't you? Yeah, so I've got Instagram, uh, James the Midwife. Um, I'm not offering oh, and I'm also part of a little tribe. Oh um, yes, you've got to mention your midwife tribe. So yes. um I'm part we, we call ourselves the holistic um mid what we the holistic midwife tribe that's it and i'm kind of collaborating online a bit with um lisa who is what's her instagram mindful midwife lisa mindful midwife lisa and also the lovely laura who's the green midwife um and we do a fair few lives we try and do one one a month Mm-hmm. and we talk about a different subject but we're all really passionate about home birth physiological birth um you know trying to kind of push for getting things to go in a different direction than what they are going so that's really good I'm loving that um they offer like private online um courses and things to do with uh, pregnancy and birth and postnatal stuff I can't commit to that right now because of the model of care I'm working in mm-hmm. I know my like I'd organize a class and then I get called out to a birth okay. and I'll have to cancel it so for me that doesn't work but my my the whole point of my Instagram is to share positive birth stories to share the truth really mm-hmm. um and to you know I'm just learning to create my own posts so I'm having fun doing that so um so yeah that's me oh and, and I'm also part of the physiological birth club Oh, um, Kimmy's, yeah, Kemi's Clubhouse. Kemi Johnson, and we we do a session on Clubhouse every Tuesday evening at um, eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Fantastic! I, um, Laura's my next uh, next on my list. Oh, I'm working my way it. through the trio. Lisa's yeah, already been on. We, on we, did a, we did a live last night with Mantinatal. Oh yes, I um, saw. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that was good. You you should do it. You should do one with all three of us. I, I would love to you know what I think that's that's the next that's the next thing I need to schedule and try and get everyone to get <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for today oh, it's been really really you. fantastic it's been great nice nice to talk to you yeah you too
Better Birth podcast and all of its content is for educational and informational purposes only. You should consult your midwife or your doctor for anything in relation to your own pregnancy and birth. The opinions and the views of the guests on the Better Birth podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Better Birth or Erin Fung.